Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, I'm Mayhem. Hello, I'm Chaos. And happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped. Love's a circle with no end. Love's a circle with no end. Let's say, and he said, happiness is egg-shaped. Hey, um, happiness is an egg-shaped circle. Happiness is egg-shaped. Love's a circle with no end. Hello and welcome to the Happiness Is podcast with me, your host, Bruce Aitchison. And today it is somebody I've known for a while and known about for a lot longer, uh, a bit of a mentor to me very recently, and I've enjoyed spending a heap of time with them in various different places, some of it in this office here talking about rugby, which has been a huge learning curve for me. One of the game's good guys, uh, liked by everyone, and just very recently he has probably broadened his experience by some of the opportunities he's been able to take. I am really excited about this one. this could last for hours, but he's not got that much time because he's a very busy man. So let's bring him in. The one and the only Mr. Duncan Hodge. Hello, sir. How are we doing? You well? Yes, I'm very well now. Let's let's jump right into it. We're, where we are. We've just come back from Wales, but in very different circumstances. You cycled 500 miles. How do you feel? Yeah, I'm feeling actually good and remarkably good. Now, that was not the case on Saturday's sort of post-event, and it was not the case late Thursday night and late Friday night. Uh, there was some shifts going on, but it was, it was it was brilliant, actually. Really, really loved it. We got very lucky with the weather. Uh, that was that was key. And, um, look, I was with four mates. It was for an amazing cause. Money is still getting raised. I mean, I think, um, you know, there's some big sums of money. I think the whole trip alone is is, is up near a quarter of a million. Um, so, I mean, that is, it's just something fantastic to be a part of. I and mean, we were lucky enough to speak to Doddy every day, just through Hoggy on the way down. 
which again just gives it that little extra like extra bit you know seeing him and and his, his family sat at home there um was quite something yeah doddy was really frustrated wasn't he because he wasn't able to physically get out and support but he was in yeah. touch with you every day yeah he wasn't allowed to physically support and abuse hoggy i think was what he said <laughs> um, no it was it was great to speak to him and it just made it so sort of tangible and yeah, sort of, you know, it just kept you grounded and, you know, why, why, you're, why you're doing it and why you, why you help out. And, um, and I think everyone was so like-minded. I mean, that's, there's been a fair bit of social media since. And, um, you know, I, I, I sort of connected with old mates, you know, made new mates. It, it, it was just a great little atmosphere. Um, and like I said, I think we did get lucky with the weather. I think that made a big, big difference. But um, that, that, that was irrelevant. Uh, sun shines on the righteous, I think. Is that another phrase? Well, I did that to well, those last two days. I mean, it was brutal when we left uh, when we left um, Edinburgh on the Thursday morning. I got the shift out of um, Selkirk down into Hoyke and then up the hill. I was against the wind. And I wasn't the biggest cyclist in our team as well. Um, but it was, uh, no, it was, it, was, it was great fun. It was a new, new experience for me, certainly. Well, I, I spoke to you on the Wednesday night and there was a little bit of pre-match nerves. You'd had your big bowl of pasta and you, you were saying that it was like preparing for a game. I then saw you on Saturday a couple, had a, having had a couple of beers, but you'd also put yourself through the ringer. Was there a bit of the satisfaction you used to get when you'd peeled yourself off a pitch after 80 minutes? You know what? I think since I retired, whenever that was 15 years ago, I think that's the closest this has been to sort of felt like a, a match like we were in the trenches at times but even like say that Wednesday night you had a big bowl of pasta you got up the next morning prepared well I mean Dean Ryan was pretty militant with us you got off your ride and you were taking protein shakes and vitamins and you've got to recover strip off the wet gear into dry gear get your legs up um you know eat properly when you could get sleep what you could and then but the thing was yeah, also with each ride it, it, I, personally i was nervous because i'd never ridden in the dark you know there's me thursday night i'm going through somewhere near preston two hours riding on the dark in my own headlight on here bike light on no one know where i'm going i'm staring at a gps head down plenty chalk go um you know from sort of 10 till midnight so i mean that's i was pretty apprehensive and and every day you got a new you just got kind of got given your route right you've pretty much got an hour and a half here on you go you're climbing that it'll be 30 40 okay go <laughs> yeah so every time you each one of the seven or eight rides you've you've got a new challenge so it was like we equated it to like a sevens tournament you know the sort of fueling hydrating resting recovering get back um so and it was something like that and then i think we felt it on the saturday but i dare say as as you well know, we didn't help ourselves. We kind of had breakfast at 7 a.m., rode for about 50, 60 miles, jumped into, met a good friend of ours, or a friend of mine. He sneaked us into corporate. We sort of sneaked down two or three pints on an empty stomach, went to the game, another pint, empty stomach. Saw you guys, empty stomach, couple of pints. So by nine o'clock, we were all just sort of like jelly men. Uh, I spoke to a few guys, Welshmen, Englishmen, Scotsmen that had done the ride. Didn't speak to any. I spoke to a few, and a lot of them said it was like being in the changing room again. That the banner was flying, meeting up with. Uh, there was a bit of 
a bit of chat and then a few beers that reconnecting you said it was it was more like anything how much do you crave that again yeah i mean what's funny i saw some i, I used to play with guys like alex popham you know we, we our team rode quite a lot with the welsh guys and with uh, rory lawson's team which had cami glasgow in it you know so there was all there was a bit of sort of whatsapping you know their van to our van right who's riding next right we'll put you against him all right you're too slow for him you know people getting slightly offended and then slightly racing um so no there's there was plenty sort of testosterone and uh sort of mental challenges going on and i mean even in our bus i mean there was a whole sort of melrose bit and dean and hoggy were just at each other the whole way so again very very similar to a changing room and that sort of tight, close-knit sort of environment that, you know, you kind of once had. Uh, Hoggy gets pelters for everybody, doesn't he? <laughs> Amazing. Even his wife, when we got home to Cheltenham <laughs> on Saturday night, the, the same was true then. <laughs> yeah, Hoggy, Hoggy was looking forward to seeing Jill on Saturday night for, for various reasons. But uh, the, 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 the challenge then, you get to Cardiff, you've done your bit were you able to relax and enjoy the game even though we didn't get the result that you and i wanted yeah i mean it's it's it, it's quite i'm finding it more now a special thing i think when i was involved at that level or even coaching edinburgh you know a year ago you're so immersed in rugby that i was like i just yeah i would kind of go sometimes but i wouldn't be wanting to go every time whereas the england game I went along with my son and who's 11 years old and watched the game with him and that was just so refreshing to see him jumping up and down for Scotland and so that was great and it was really again it was really nice at the weekend I mean Cardiff is a fantastic place to watch rugby I mean I would anyone who's not been you've got to go it's it's un it's unbelievable and then to watch it with five or you know the six of us who'd just been on that you know the four riders and the two guys who helped us so much to watch and just set a game of rugby and I'm, I'm sitting with Dean and we're just sort of chewing the fat about what people should do and so again that was just uh it was it was something quite 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 special and on the back of just that sort of come down and relaxing I'm like okay let's just enjoy this and have a beer um so no so it was uh it, it was great so I didn't realize until Sunday night Hodgie I'm flicking through the program and there's a big bit in it about Duncan Hodge kicking the points to win it. Brendan Laney had kicked a bundle and then you did the same. Yeah, so there's two things about that game. One was it was Bill McLaren's last game, commentary. So that was quite an emotional game for us all. We were very aware of that. We met him pre-game. And the other thing is I don't actually remember how how long I've got on the pitch. Look, it's probably 10 minutes, five, six minutes. I don't know, but I can remember I must have had the last kick of the game and I've now checked the score since so look we won in the end by five points I think it's 27 22 so it must have been 24 22 Scotland got a penalty um last play of the game now the only way we can lose the game is if I hit the post with a kick and the ball stays in play they then go down the other end and score and they only needed three you know if I'd missed it still so I, I remember contemplating smashing this as hard as I can sort of right at the post I was on the right hand side and I thought, all right, I reckon I can reach the stand from here. I reckon I can clear the dead ball. Um, but then, yeah, I just, I just couldn't do that. I thought, no, I'll just, I'll nail this. I'll, I'll, I can't, I can't do that. I've got to, I've got to, I can't have that on my sort of CV going forward that I've, you know, I've missed in front of seventy thousand. I've got to nail this, and I, and I did give it a bit extra because I thought if this does hit the post, I want it to rebound. 
somewhere nearer us than them. So climbed into it and it went over, I think. Nice. Uh, you've, you've got some brilliant stories and performances, but to score all the points in a Calcutta Cup win at Murrayfield, and you're probably sick of talking about it, but that must be something that you look back on with a huge amount of pride. Yeah, it's one of those funny things. I think that is what everyone sort of um, remembers me for, probably. And yeah, I mean the, the whole the whole thing was just one of those things. That the, it was the first ever Sunday game. Um, it tipped it with rain. Obviously, England were huge favourites. They'd been scoring thirty-five points a game. They were expected to belt us. Although we had played well the week before at Wales, so we 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 started really slow over in Italy, but we we were getting we were playing better. And yeah, it was one of those games. I mean, England really should have been out of sight by halftime. I remember Delalio chirping us when he scored. They were on our line just before halftime. And I think Austin Healy got turned over and we ended it. We got up to halfway. I think we, I cleared the ball. We got up to halfway and we got in at, I think, 9 6 or 9 7, when arguably it should have been 13 6, 14 6. And potentially we would have really struggled. And then a bit has happened. You know, a couple of weeks ago with Scotland England, you know, when a game is close and you're at home, uh, you you start to get the rub of the green, and the crowd gets behind you, and then there was a real belief, and then yeah, luckily I scored this sort of fifty meter try, beat 10, 10, 12 guys, and dotted down, which is what I tell people now. So I tell my kids, but clearly it's not true. Um, sort of six, six. I don't even know why I was going anywhere near a rock. I mean, that's not like me. Um. But yeah, the ball just sort of skidded out, ticked it, popped over. And I've got a couple of great pictures. I've got a great picture of me touching it down. As I touched it down, the ball sort of just skidded out. And I was like, oh, they're not, they might not give this. And I've got this a picture of me sort of looking sideways up at the ref with him going to his whistle saying, look, you, that was a definite try. And look, he gave it. And I do one other thing I do remember after the game was Jim going around everyone. And, and Jim Telfer, this is, and then Jim's sort of in his way. Mudge, <laughs> nineteen points. How the, how the f did that happen? <laughs> um, but it was one of those days. And I, because it was a Sunday game, I actually went and met my family at um, Montpellier's in Brunsfield. Um, you know, so there's no huge function. I think the England team left pretty soon afterwards, so it was very much a case. I went and met my family, then went and met my mates in town. Um, so no, it was a, it was a, it was it was it was a great day, and like it's not something. Well, it gets talked about by other people, and if you ask me, I'll talk about it. But other than that, it's it's all good. Hello, my name is Bruce Aitchison from Happiness is Egg Shaped, and I am here to tell you where you can get your Happiness is Egg Shaped merchandise. Go to www.halbro.com and search for Happiness is Egg Shaped in the stores. We've got it all. Umbrellas, snoots, hats, towels for when you eventually get to go on holiday to the beach or by the pool. We've got hoodies, we've got t-shirts, we've got all sorts going on there. Check it out. Get your Happiness is Egg Shaped merchandise. You can get it all coloured up for your favourite team or for your country. Get involved because you know, I know, everybody knows Happiness is Egg Shaped. Well, one of my other Duncan Hodge memories was what he did against the Springboks at the Greenyards. 
Yeah, so that was well. When was that? That was '94, and I was a I was a very young boy then. I think I was, I think I was 19 years old actually. I think I, yes, I was 19. Um, and that Springboks team that day contained uh, five players that went and won the World Cup. Um, whatever it was, seven eight months after that, um, and that was another sort of yeah last minute sort of drop goal in the mud at, at the green yards on a Tuesday <laughs> afternoon, I think. You could probably tell me to, more than I can. To, to kick a drop goal in those conditions was ridiculous. The, it had rained for about 40 days and 40 nights. Pictures all over his shop. And this 19-year-old drops a goal to beat the Springboks. I mean, that's, that's Roy the Rovers. Yeah, there was... I know there was it, it kind of became a slight habit as well there was a, there was a quite there was a few more and I don't know I always said that my thinking was people asked me about it my thinking was oh I, didn't, I never struggled to kick the ball a long way so I would often go for longer drop goals when there was less pressure on me when people didn't expect it and I wasn't going to get charged down pressure so uh, that one was from a fair distance out there was one against Northampton far out as one against Ulster they're all well past the 22 and that was my sort of thinking you know I, I yeah so but no I mean that was that was probably the you know I think I'd just been to Argentina as a 19 year old the summer before um as a late call up for Craig Chalmers actually um so no these were all experiences that were coming to me when I was pretty young um and it was, yeah, it was sort of, you know, I, I had to grow up pretty fast, fast, sort of playing 10. And there was a bit of a, it's quite similar to some of my cricket stuff. You know, I was always playing cricket against sort of men at my local club, Dumfries. And um, I, I was always competing against sort of more experienced sort of adults, as it were, which was, um, which I don't know, probably helped me learn quickly, I suppose. But there's there's a huge amount in both of those stories, playing the Springboks for Scotland Day. It was I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was. It, it was called Scotland Day. Um, playing on a Tuesday against the Touring Springboks team when that was still what they did. They still played midweek fixtures, and the reason I love it, I was there. You were allowed to miss school. You know, border kids were allowed to miss school. I saw the All Blacks take eighty off the South. The South scored yeah. first. And then, and then didn't touch the ball for the rest of the game. But there was, you know, huge all-black names in that. There was huge Springbok names in that. And that's that's gone. But what an opportunity for a 19-year-old to gain pretty high-level experience without it being a test match. A kid playing cricket with men, the chance to learn, see what it's like, see what not to do, see role models. Not many young players are even having that dual opportunity now of playing cricket as well as playing rugby to the standards you did. How much do you put down to your development as a player and as a coach and as a, as a man to those experiences in your teenage years? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I was always, and I, and I still say the same to most people I meet, to be honest, obviously the world has changed and sports are sort of specialising um, earlier. Um, but yeah, I, I do think it's a massive thing to 
Most importantly, to find the, the the sport you enjoy the most, I think that's that's probably number one. And number two is I just think it's great learning to learn about other different sports and deal with meet other new people and learn other skills that are you then find out later in your career are you know very transferable. Um, you know, so I would always encourage that, and and it can be a bit of a you know I mean and look, my parents were great as well. Um, sort of transporting me about, you know, I've got kids now and it's the same, you know, it's, it's, it can be a workload for parents, but um, yeah, I, I would, if at all possible, I think you should be dipping into as many things as you can. And the reasons being, as I've said there, just find what suits for you, what, what's enjoyable, what you're kind of, what you're good at, what makes you tick, you know, which group of people you, you enjoy. And I think that, that all goes into the mix. And you had to make some choices because cricket was, was still a decent shout. You still love to swing a bat around as well. Yeah, I mean, I've still got my own. Uh, we, I've got a so, very social team that's sort of it's called the Rugby Has Beens, um, and that's guys that used to play a bit of cricket. Guys, some guys that I've never played. Just some of my mates who love cricket. So we probably play four or five times games a year. We've got the sort of T Twenty strips and. Um, you know, I know. I tell you what's been great this year as there was three guys played for us, and at the same time they played with their sons. So Jamie Mayer, Burnsy, and myself, our sons all played with us, which is a, quite a special thing. Um, but no, I mean cricket's one of those games I just, I just love. It's probably potentially my only, my only regret is that I got picked for a tour that I probably, in hindsight, I maybe should have gone on. But then it's like sliding doors. If I'd gone on that, then rugby might not. Have taken off we wouldn't have played under if I'd gone on that seniors cricket Scotland cricket tour I wouldn't have played under 21 rugby's that under Scotland under 21 rugby that season then you don't know how that translated into three months four months down the line when I was on a Argentina tour so so it's, it's one of those things yeah it, it must be horrible to be popular Hoji must, must be horrible <laughs> and well, as a, as a standoff and as a sorry carry on no I think you just you don't know any different you just sort of bat on you just you, there was not as I don't think there was as much to think about then I think there's probably there's more more sports more structure more training now you know when I was 18 19 you just did what you did didn't you, you just oh do you want to play that do you want to play that go and do that go and do that you just did it you didn't think about there was no big strategy about what I chose and not chose it just happened it's not it's just yeah you've already mentioned your upbringing in Dumfries um how much is coming from that community contributing to sort of playing all sports, being involved in all things? Yeah, I mean, I sort of, I suppose like a lot of kids and families, I, I kind of just, I sort of did what was going on in the house. My dad played rugby, dad played cricket. My mum was a good sports person as well. So I, I just, I just sort of tagged along to whatever I was you know, um, wherever I could, you know, if dad was playing cricket, I would go and watch and get bolted in the nets. If, um, you know, so it was just sort of one of, one of those really. And then you go off to Merkston Castle School and probably a chance to do both. As a young standoff, how important was kicking the ball to you? Because it became something that was almost your super strength, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's one, I, a few people ask this, and to be honest, I mean, I played, I'd never touched a rugby ball till 
I was 11 years old. And the only reason I did touch a rugby ball was because my dad, mini rugby, started at Dumfries and it got me out of Sunday school. Um, so, so that was it. So I'd played football all my life until then. Hadn't touched a rugby ball. And, you know, so kind of football was probably my first sport and then rugby and cricket sort of came, came on top of that. And I suppose, the, you know, and when I was, when I was at school, that was, that was the one, that was the one thing. I mean, I was just playing some sort of sport the whole time. And, you know, I include five-a-side football and that, I include squash and that, I include, you know, rugby, cricket, touch, nets, whatever it was, you know, I was probably probably into it when you think back but again not in a structured way it wasn't people making me do stuff it was just I don't know I just enjoyed sport and enjoyed you know like-minded people and right off we went let's go to the nets for three hours let's go and play touch or let's go and have a game of football or whatever it was and so play was a big part of it how much then do you look at what goes on now and when you're coaching do you try and replicate play yeah, no, I, mean, I, th- I, th- I think it is. It's getting that. It's getting that balance, and this is the one, the one thing. So you asked about kicking there as well. So I forgot to answer that question. I mean, I'd never really been taught how to kick. I mean, I remember getting sixteen years old, and I was just told, "Right, you're a good footballer. You're kicking goals next year for the first fifteen, pretty much by Frank Hadden. That's how that one came about. And you know, you just sort of morph into it and you practice, and off you go. Um, but the the games bit is is big for me. Um, but also equally, I think rugby is actually quite a complicated score. Um, there's a lot in it. It's different to, I don't know, say rugby league or cricket or football. Uh, there's quite a lot of skills in there. There's quite a lot of specialist skills in there. And uh, so I, I, I think you definitely, look, you need, you need touches of the ball. You need small-sided games. You need people to learn themselves. However, I also think you do need some technical input, and like you can pick any skill you like: pick kicking a ball, kick, um, pick, you know, catching a ball, whatever that is. I think, I think these things got to have got to be potentially coached slightly, slightly earlier as well. Um, and the 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 one reason I say that, in my experience, is that you know I probably got lucky because I played football. I, I had a sort of natural, you know aptitude to kick a ball however if you know if you're a 12 year old kid and you know you hold the ball wrong you kick it wrong or hold the ball wrong for six years and then try to change that 18 i think you're going to find that pretty hard um so that's why i just sort of merge that technical coaching bit with with the games as well if that makes sense and you your your technique held up under the most immense of pressures and that would come, you know, whether whether we call it 10,000 hours or 10,000 touches or, or whatever it is in fashion at the moment, you'd done it a lot, which meant when there were 70,000 people watching, you knew it was going to stand up. Is there enough rehearsal? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was sometimes to my detriment, I was I was one of these sort of I need to be last off the pitch type people. Um so you're you're right, I had done a lot of it. And I think there was there was a couple of times also in my career when I probably over kicked and kicked too much and like I'd almost groove a bad habit. I'd try to I would have something wrong and then I'd just try and thrash it out and kick an extra hundred balls and I'd just send myself into a spiral the other way. So so there was there was a bit of that. But 
No, I mean, there, you know, I was de- it was definitely sort of rehearsed, and and I, you know, I certainly wasn't coached much to kick until later in my career. It was very much self-taught. It was watching people. It was me working out what had gone right and what had gone wrong. It was me, you know, my days off going in. It was, you know, all these little bits and pieces. Probably when you look back, all added up. But again, I think as I said earlier, it wasn't massively thought about. It was just sort of me being me at the time, really. Um, so I think there is a bit around when you are young or younger. There was, there was definitely three bits in my career. There was the first, I don't know, 18 to 20 when things just happen and you're kind of lucky. And then yeah, they get dropped or you get injured and then you think too much. And then at the end you get, well, geez, I've only got three or four years left. What am I, what am I worrying about? You know, type of stuff. So there's, I would branch my career definitely into three sort of chunks. Um, and I'd like to think that, you know, you can pass on a, a bit of that, you know, when I, when I speak to people or players, even your kids, to be fair, you know, who knows? And, Ten years time, I might have my girl, my boy, asking me about things like that. But yeah, there was there was definitely there was definitely chunks in there, segments. And through that, it sounds to me like although it might not have been conscious, analysing and then improving leads to being a coach when you finish playing. Yeah, it was it was a funny one because um, I think I, I'd always kind of said I probably wouldn't want to coach now the reason i said that was or said or in my mind had that was because probably because of weekends and sort of family life you know and then when i when i finished up playing i was i was kind of straight into coaching plus work i was sort of shut and tie job three times a week and then I was doing such skills and kicking two times a week and then Dave that ran for about sort of four years and then there was a kind of choice had to be made about going full time and by that time I had the sort of coaching bug and I was like I, I really enjoyed doing this and I'm in I'm running about being active trying to help people and it wasn't there wasn't really a choice by that point but until you know, until I'd experienced both sides, I wasn't I wasn't convinced that was definitely what I had to do. You know, it wasn't like I'd give up. And and there was also a bit of in that that there was no real avenue. I mean, had someone said to me as I was a player, look, you're I don't know, you've got you've got one brain cell and you've played ten, would you fancy being a coach? Now that I probably would have, you know, thought about that seriously, but that wasn't in the system. That didn't happen then. Um so I got, I got really lucky. And again, I would say, you know, I, I, but as we've talked about, I experienced short and tie work, I experienced um, nine to five and I experienced coaching along at the same time. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I had a sort of a grounding and an education on both sides and then was allowed to make a sort of educated choice, I suppose. Yeah, you've mentioned luck a couple of times and I'm not convinced I'm buying that story. I'm not convinced the. <laughs> There was, you, you put yourself in situations, let's put it that way. And yeah. a lot of, there, there's a lot of chat around coaching and how pro players go into coaching sometimes straight away. You, it might appear like that for people that don't know you that well, but you started in club rugby. You started coaching with, you know, the club that you'd played with at Watsonians. 
how different an experience is that going from a professional environment to the club environment? One of my, and while it's not about me, one of my issues is often that club coaches are trying to replicate the professional game and that's not what it is. Did you shoot too high? Did you go in with a reasonable expectation? How did you first approach being a coach in club life? Yeah, well, I mean, I had two stints coaching. So there was a period of about two years when, and not, this wasn't every night of the week, but I was I was coaching what's on his twos over the back at Craig Lockhart when I was still playing. I must have been, I don't know, at the time, mid-20s. Uh, when I was down at Leeds, I helped out coaching the academy, me and Stuart Lancaster, you know, when I could, when I was injured, you know, because I was obviously pro player then but when I could I was going up and coaching and then when I came back to Edinburgh I coached the ones at what Sony ends with Cammy Mather you know I coached Nashi and uh, Stevie Laurie and uh, all these sorts of people so so they, I mean there was three stints that was I don't know five years worth of coaching before I then had you know had even finished playing the game so and it is, I mean, your your point there just about how do you how do you pitch it? And, you know, and I have the same issues now, same time, the same thing, every time I plan a session, you know, and this could be, this could have been six years ago coaching the under sixes at bats down at Rayburn Place. You know, you've got all this stuff that you think may or may not work. And then you, part of it's trial and error. Part of it, you can cover up some stuff if the kids are, you know, the players in what Sonian's days are just enjoying it, but it's just that it's just a trial and error. Um, you've you've got a pretty good sense of, you know, where you're at in terms of skill level and, you know, even stupid stuff like the numbers you've got. Well, you know, if you've got forty players, you're gonna you're gonna have a very different session to whether you've got ten players. You know, conditions, weather, all these things are just gone into the mix when you're thinking about it. But you you probably find you get better at it as you go on, but you're never too far off. You've got a pretty instinctive idea of what will work or not work. And at whatever level you go in at, you know, that, like I say, that could have been my six-year-old five years ago. It could have been what Sonian's twos 25 years ago. Uh, you know, it could be the under-12s I take next Monday or whatever that is. So how much of it, you hear some players talking about it's only 10% physical and it's 90% mental. Or so. so for coaching then, a professional player should have really high level rugby knowledge, um, intelligence, understanding of what happens when. But a lot of very good players don't make particularly good coaches. How much of it comes down to the social, emotional, mental skills that you've got as a person? Yeah, I, th I think that is that is it's a, it's a big part of it. I think, um, and I think you find the best coaches manage to sort of merge the two because, especially well, at the top level now, there is, there is a lot of knowledge kicking about. Uh, there's a lot of technical detail, and you know, even TV, social media these days. I mean, there's you know the analysis and the some of the little things, nuances that are highlighted. They, they're there for everyone, so. You know, so there is a high level out there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like ultimately, you're, it's probably like any job, isn't it? You're dealing with people, aren't you? Whether that's, doesn't matter what age they are, in some form, you're dealing with someone above you or someone below you or someone on the same level. And you have to work alongside them and get hopefully get the best out of them. So, and that is the one, 
uh, it's probably the hardest bit with um, with with rugby that I think you know. So at any one time you're trying to cajole I don't know 40, 50 people in pro terms, 40, 50 people in the same direction. However, those 40 or 50 people are very different people. They're different shapes, they're different sizes. They've got different personalities. Different things rub them up the right or the wrong way, you know. So you're trying to point the point the cart in one direction, but not everyone is is always, you know, amenable. And and that that's the sort of trick. Yeah, you you're trying to speak to the team, but there's also you've got to be very wary of individuals and how you how you deal with them. I think that's that's definitely the hardest bit. No matter what job you're in, and, and I've spoken to coaches at different levels, the thing we probably all want more is time. Uh, you know, resources are resources, facilities are, but the, I think if it was narrowed down to one thing, people would say they want more time. In that professional environment, for people like me that, that have never been in there, how much time do you spend on those things that you've mentioned, so you've got 50 players, but you know that three or four of them are having a tough time. There's two injured. There's that one's contract's coming up. That one's going away on international duty. How, how much time do you actually get? There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market where you're making that connection with an individual or a small group? Yeah, probably probably less than people think. However, I think you can you you can build those bridges in other ways as well. And that can be look, it could be anything. It it could be just going out of your way on the way back from training to speak to someone for two minutes on the way in or I don't know, you go and check with a physio. How's 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 he doing? All right, or he's, or he's struggling a bit, right? I need to go and speak to him tomorrow, or it's a WhatsApp at night, or whatever it is. In terms of structured time, you know, the coaches have got a lot on their plate, and, you know, you've got, you know, stuff to prep for and stuff to analyze. And um, so it's just sort of fitting that jigsaw together, really, because um, both sides, as we said, are equally important. Um, and but it's, it's trying to, a lot of it can be in, informal less it's not like i need to meet this person for half an hour it probably doesn't work as much like that it's more you know messages phone calls checking up you know just getting a sort of circle of keeping your ear to the ground and working it all out and then you sort of prioritize from there probably who does that for coaches in the pro environment who checks in on the coaches <laughs> the other coaches <laughs> right. uh, that's what i thought you might say yeah, in my experience, 
yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I suppose it's like team and teammates, isn't it? You kind of look out for yourself and like I dare say some teams in variance might have, you know, resources where there is an overarching, you know, mentor, coach, educator type person who is looking at stuff. But in my experience, you know, you, you kind of, your mates look out for you, your other coaches look out for you. I've worked with some great people that I'm close to and still close to over the last, you know, 10, 15 years. And it's those guys. And, and also you, 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 you end up speaking to guys that you trust, you know, guys that look out for you, they know you. If you're mates, they know you, they know when you're struggling or you need a help. And likewise, you know, the same with them. So it, that that's, that's how it's worked in my, in my life. Um, yeah. But when you look back at Duncan Hodge, the coach that made that decision to go from two days a week to full time, what is, or who is Duncan Hodge, the coach now? What's been the, the progression? Oof, uh, it's a toughie that one. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I, I, I think, so the this, the kind of on on pitch bit. I think you you you, you it's just sort of what worked. Uh, so I think you you keep your fight there, and also you got to keep fresh there. The game keeps moving. Um, I think probably the other bit is just learning how to. You know, deal with players, how to make us, you know, if something's not going well in the session, instinctively now I probably know what to do in terms of, right, I need to change that or I need him to do something different or you, you just sort of things up quicker. And I think that probably is just experience uh, when, when, you, when you sort of look back. Um, uh, and in terms of me, yeah, I'm, me as a coach, yeah, I think my probably just main objectives are just to, I, don't know, I suppose you're trying, trying to get the best out of whoever you're coaching, and that could be a ten-year-old, it could be a thirty-five-year-old, um, you know. And it's 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 you're trying to develop the player, really. Being being a coach over that period of time is bravery something that's improved. Are you a braver coach now than you were when you first started? Yeah, I think so. I, but I think that's also just tied up with the experience. I mean, I, I, probably my biggest fault as a coach has been. I, I, I'm probably not unusual in this, but you you, you kind of second guess yourself. I, I reckon I've wasted or wasted. I've been inefficient, shall we say, with my time in terms of, you know, you want to provide the best for, you know, your head coach or your, and your players. And you probably go round in circles over analysing and should I done that? Should I that? Should we do that move? Should we do that? And then you come back to where you started. You know, your instinct in the first five minutes was correct. I probably just same with review meetings or preview meetings. You know, you probably got it in the first hour, two hours worth of work, but you then you you know you check it and you refine it in your back, and you know so that's probably my biggest sort of fault as a as a as a coach, I reckon. Okay, you've done the perfect Scottish thing, the perfect coaching thing. There, you've been able to tell me your biggest fault. What's your greatest strength as a coach? Um, no, I think probably I'd like to think I've managed to get or help most people I've coached. Um, and maybe that isn't sometimes 
the most technical thing. I'd like to think also that I've been pretty open, that people could, I could speak to everyone I've coached in some way. Now, I'm not saying that's a five-minute conversation, but I'd like to think if I asked someone a question, they would, you know, they'd give me a minute's worth of answers and they would be, you know, semi-polite and give me some information and not just a one-word answer like I get from my kids. Um, you know, so the, so those are the... There's uh, there's nothing harder than coaching your own kids or <laughs> raising your own kids. Give me, yeah. give me 40 teenage rugby players any day of the week. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's probably the, 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 the couple of things there, I think. And it's interesting that you were far more definite with your area to improve than you were your strengths yeah I, 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 yeah i mean that probably is just me and maybe as a scottish thing isn't it you kind of uh, potentially and, and that's probably where i was i think that's where you, i don't know that's just where i've gone to i think probably cricket might have been different um i was i was i think because it was an individual individual sport was in rugby i think you're always line and other people but yeah i think in rugby it was you were always i always felt that you, you looked at someone next to you who did something better than you but you te i tend to forget about the things i would have done really well better than someone else but, but again that that is also a positive thing because it means you're always sort of chasing you, you're trying to trying to be be better and or improve yourself yeah, you're a very humble man, is what I'm going to put it down to, Mr. Hodge. You're struggling to blow your own trumpet. There are a huge load of skills there. Now, none none could be highlighted more than being asked to go and coach Fiji. Now, you, you don't get that invitation if you can't uh, build relationships very quickly, uh, be highly thought of in rugby, but it would have taken one phone call to blow that one out of the water. No, he's not a good guy. So it, talk me through how that comes around. Duncan Hodge, Fiji attack coach. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh, you, you're kind of right in, in what a lot, a lot of you say there. Um, like that was just, uh, it, it came through Vern, obviously, who I worked with for three, three four years and obviously they couldn't travel none of the new zealand coaches could could travel uh obviously i had just sort of gone from edinburgh there's a period of about six weeks there and he kind of just texted me and then we spoke and said well what are you what are you doing said, well this is this is the plan this is the plan I said well you're busy in november I said, well no no not really um yeah so like that was it was a, a lot of what you've said there it was it was um totally new experience for me daunting one because culturally language um some of the caliber players and literally you were just going in cold um you know i was going in at 11 o'clock to madrid and we play a test match five days later and as you said there the biggest things is like it's not my technical knowledge that was going to help Fiji. it was me building relationships with you know you know ben bolabola and you know russia to silver and these sorts of guys so that i can help them and we can get something out of those guys um but yeah you look you even then you know there's me coached all this time but you're a second guy so like how are they gonna react to me how you know they don't know me they don't know what i'm about 
the ways obviously I got lucky is part, probably partly as you say, like if, if Ferns asked me to do a job, then that's that's probably a fair statement. And also I was lucky that four of the guys I'd already played with, you know, I sort of already coached. So Bill Mata, you know, Mesu, Leroy and Roni Sau, you know, I'd spent a lot of time with Edinburgh. So, you know, hopefully, <laughs> and I, I genuinely mean this, hopefully in the background they're saying, look, like, you know, Audrey's all right. Just uh, listen to him for the first 10 minutes and so see what you think. Um, so that's that worked well. And so that was a nice start for me. And, you know, again, we worked with a great staff. Everyone just, um, we just sort of got mucked in. Um, but, you know, a huge, huge eye opener. Like, so, so lucky. Um, so many different things um that I learned um daunting but you know big challenge and you know just love that three weeks really really good for the last six years fill your boots has been making rugby happen at the grassroots level please get involved and go to www.fybrugby.com to register your club or to register as a player and join the online community to make sure that games continue to happen in the future. Join in clubs with players and players with clubs to make sure that we can keep the club game as strong as possible. Fill your boots, bring in rugby together. I feel like you've completed it. You've coached your country. And if you're going to coach anybody else, Fiji are everybody's second team. And getting to be their attack coach, give me strength. So you go in and you've got Richie Gray with you, Gareth Babers in charge, having won an Olympic gold medal, uh, who now finds himself in Edinburgh. So there's a, a lot of Scottish links there, boys that have played in Scotland. But when they're together as Fiji the culture to be on the inside and see what happens must have been pinch yourself moments. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. So like I said, you know, for those four guys that I know really well, I spent a lot of time with them and you see them together, you know, start a lunch or dinner or, you, you know, you speak to them at certain little times, but you, you could not prepare yourself. You know, so you think, oh, those dear four guys are so close. Isn't that amazing? But you, you just couldn't prepare yourself for the wave of, you know these 30 guys and just how much they sort of love each other and uh and i think i think i said to you the way i've explained it is it was like a it was like a stag weekend with no alcohol it was just these guys they were just so close they're just they just they were just so much fun together they just they just want so comfortable and happy in each other's company like you know when they got up seven o'clock in the morning you know they're down for monitoring and testing and they're just giggling away laughing away and then they go to bed at night, just the happiest people alive as well. Um, so it's just so refreshing to see. Um, and yeah, you've just got to get on their wavelength. And you know, we, you know, we tried to learn a bit of Fijian. And uh, you know, if you're asked to, you know, drink a bowl of cava, then and 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 sort of conform to their tradition, that's what you do. That you know, that's and that's important. That's important to them, but it's also important to me. And and. Gonna, you know, if I, you know, if I go around to your house for dinner, you know, I, I respect, you know, that and you know what your household brings, and that's just the way it should work. So, I'm very, very conscious of that, and then obviously very religious as well, which was again a new, totally new thing for me. So, um, no, it was, um, it, it was, it was, it was quite a trip. I mean, it was, it was, it was stressful and hard work. I mean, preparing a 
test match team in five days when you haven't met anyone that's that's a big ask um you know in terms of the prep time very limited you could contrast that to you know scotland wales england who so had had umpteen training camps by that by that stage in november you know we are you know we arrive um on sort of sunday um but again that you know you that's one of these sort of hurdles you just got to deal with and you then got to think about well how am i going to message this and how concise do i have to be and how much information am i going to give and it was it, there was very little coaching done it was kind of high level management rather than you know coaching I mean, these guys can play rugby can't they <laughs> I, mean, I mean that that was that was the other bit about it you know even in the little snippets you see i mean they, they love competition they love little games and they love a, an opportunity to express their skills and i mean just seeing and this is not just the backs i mean seeing what some of these guys can do with a ball in their hand is just phenomenal and to see it up up close and live was you know it was a, it was a real honor and it, I, I genuinely mean that as well it's one of my best ever coaching experiences no 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 doubt about uh, that. It, it cracks me up that the boy who started playing mini rugby to avoid Sunday school then had to go through a Christian service every night that he was in Fiji camp. <laughs> yes, and uh, yeah, I know it's it's there's a slight irony there. But I love the the preparation. I mean, you've now seen it from the inside. You'll have sat like like all of us, you know, in this sort of privileged position in a. I hate the phrase, but a tier one nation who pretty much has everything they need, the resources, the money, the time, the, the player access. And we sit here and say, isn't it a shame for the Pacific Island teams? Imagine what they could do. What do you imagine they could do if it was a level playing field? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think that is the thing. I think they just there's, there's so much raw talent there. I mean, I think a, a few things will... So the new regulations around um, players coming back, I think that's I, like I think the next World Cup is going to be amazing. You know, you've got the big sort of four Southern Hemisphere teams, you've got the Six Nations teams. You know, you add in a stronger Samoa, Fiji, Tonga uh, into that. I mean, I think the next World Cup is going to be it's going to be great. And and also the what, to use Fiji as an example, the new Drew team that I think they play, I think the first games this weekend coming up. Um, you know that's going to on a you know another 30 players are going to play 25 games of super rugby before the next world cup you know so some of the slight deficiencies in some positions there or wherever they might be short um you know that's going to throw up some players as well um so but again yeah there's that's so that's going to add into the mix but yeah look it's 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 tough because Fiji, Samoa, Tonga, the players are scattered all over the world. So geographically, it's it's a natural obstacle as well. So it's they need more time together. However, it's it's just it's, it's a slightly different scenario as well. So you're just merging those two things. But um, it's, 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 a, it's an exciting thought to think of these three teams that we mentioned there and the next World Cup with you know, more players, strength and depth and, you know, increased training time sort of going towards the World Cup. I loved watching the Fiji-Wales game in the autumn and I was watching you and every, every time it cut to you, I was thinking, what is going through that guy's head? How's it? And, you know, I spoke to you before you went, I spoke to you when you came back, but what was it like in that coaching box when there was that, that 
so close, I suppose, to to the history and and doing something really special in a place that you've already said you absolutely love. Yeah, oh, I mean, we're just gutted. I mean, gutted first up for Aroni. He's he's not that sort of guy, but he obviously got a red card, and it was a red card. Um, and yeah, and we thought we had a real chance of beating them, and we still did, even with 14 men, and we were down to 13 men for 20 minutes a game as well. And we got a couple of rough calls, and you know, and it's it's a really tight game with 10 minutes to go, and we just we just couldn't quite get there. But um, no, I mean that was that was sort of special, and I, I suppose I, I think off the pitch I'm fairly calm and measured, but I think I, I did lose it a bit that day. I've got a bit of a habit of that. <laughs> Even even cockers used to tell me to shut up sometimes in the coaching box. <laughs> um, so. I remember reading Ben Ryan's book and he spoke a little bit about the Fijians and competition. He was doing some speed testing with them and he couldn't believe the times that they were recording in a 40-meter uh, timed gated sprint. And it was his manager said to him, but why are they running? So he got them to chase each other and the times went, yeah. you know, through the roof, and he gave him a ball to run into. Is there anything that you learned with Fiji that you think we should be doing that in, you know, in the new situation you find yourself? Did Was there things you learned in, from Fiji that have improved your practice? No, I, probably not in specifics, but I think probably your point there just around and potentially well, to be fair, at any level, but I think it, it comes back to trying to engage the group you're coaching and trying to inspire them and trying to make it, you know, you're trying to combine that technical learning bit with enjoying what they're doing. And that's the sort of sweet spot for me. If you can, if they can be competitive and chase each other and have games and it's you against me and learn or remember or tie in those technical bits, that's the sort of sweet spot. And I think that's probably the more and more I think about this and now what I'm doing and that that's probably where you come around to. You, you're constantly trying to just find that sort of sweet spot that hits everything rather than everything being, oh, it's just a game or it's just a technical bit. It's, it's trying to jam the two together. And you, you find yourself in an interesting place. I've known you for a while and you've come out of the professional game full time. You've chosen some really interesting things to get involved with. Fiji, you've been involved with Doddy. You did a 500 mile cycle. All things that were probably off. Well, Fiji was definitely off limits to you. But now you find yourself with this this new plan and a new exciting bit where you're going to take all of that learning, all of that experience. What what's happening with Accelerate Rugby? Yeah, I mean it was it was always, uh, and I'd I'd been fairly open with the people close to me just around. Look, I'd, I had some time left in my contract, and I'd I'd never ever consider not doing what I'd done. But hey, look, I've got kids that are thirteen, eleven. I've got a sort of family and a wife here that you know you potentially you 40 45 weekends a year you're away from home or you're if you're even at you're at home you're reviewing your preview and you've got your mind on something else so there was a there was always going to be a conscious shift for me um and then that was sort of just excel brought forward a year shall we say and i always had this idea just to it goes back to something i said earlier and that 
rug, rugby is quite a it's quite a specialist unique game there's quite a lot of skills there and i've seen other sports and you know and i've coached you know it was always a level to me blah 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 i just pro coach but well no i was i've been coaching you know p1 kids you know for the last seven years on sunday mornings so and I, I know kind of i'd like to think i know what's going on you know so the the thing with um accelerate rugby my new company is just trying to provide a sort of a, an avenue where you know kids kids can it's a sort of supplemental learning really you know trying to provide a different level of coaching probably just further down the chain um and like it might if you know if someone wants to you know if you if you've not you know you're clearly there's some great coaching going on at schools and clubs um but if if um if kids want to learn hear a different voice they want to do an extra session a week you know it's just trying to trying to provide that really and just sort of share my experience a bit lower down the chain and people say oh you're not crazy how come you're coaching fiji then you're coaching 11 year old boys so, well coaching is coaching I, you know i'm in a pair of shorts i'm trying to coach people and make them enjoy rugby and doesn't yes some of the nuances and the technical bits are different but coaching is coaching i you know could be coaching 10 kids in Enverleaf Park or I could be coaching Fiji. It's still still love doing both equally as much. Um, there's more pressure on one and maybe less on the other, but you're still trying to draw the best out of people. And you know, and I just sort of I, I just sort of see see there that I think, well, why would I not try and um just sort of filter some of my stuff a bit further further down to younger kids, really? Yeah, and I can vouch for it because I see you in action a couple of times a week and I've got a huge amount out of it. What, What is it then, you're saying you like coaching 10 kids in Inverleith Park, what is it that gives you the real buzz and the desire and motivation to set something like this up and, and make this your your day job? Um, I, well, I think you just want to see people improve. I think it's, it's no different to probably you know your own team or your own family. I think it's just... You know, you, you get a buzz out of, you know, I, I don't know, a kid can't do something and then they get it and they learn a bit. And then, you know, three months down the line, they've nailed that little skill. Um, it's all those little things or you, you, you see something, you coach something in a training session, then you, you see it in a game a month later. Or, you know, that's that's just a, that's, that's a massive thing. And I, I think probably everyone can relate to that. It's probably like me going to the golf range. You know, you, you practice away and you, something doesn't work and... But then it suddenly just twigs and that sort of hooks you in and then that's you, you're you're on to the next bit. Um so I think that that's that's the sort of that's the key thing, I think, with it. And um no, it seems to have um it seem yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see how it all goes. Everything's a bit of a it's sort of jigsaw just now, we're just trying to work out what works and what doesn't. And and I think the thing is it's I want it to be sort of consistent and continuous. It's not a that you come to a session and once every six months, like to me, that's not how, that's not how I learned. You learn by doing stuff and doing it kind of continually for me or semi continually you know, it's, you can't do something once and then do it again six months and expect it to, a, a change to have been made. So it's, it's just trying to, it's just trying to make that a fairly continual or have something available should kids want to do it just on a fairly continual basis. 
Nice. I, I love it. Lucky, very lucky kids getting exposed to that. When you look back, I'm wondering how you're going to answer this because you're a very humble man. When you look back on this, is there a player or are there a few players or is there a, a period of time that a team performed where you think, I, I had that influence, I, I played a part in that? Oh, geez. Um, there's bits in all, in all this. Team. I mean, when the coach that was signing was with Cami, you know, we, we won the cup with good bits. Um, I think as a player, probably as a 10, I think you had to be influential. Um, so there's bits in that. You know, Coach McVeigh at the 2015 World Cup, you know, we played some great rugby, should have been maybe in a semi-final, all those sorts of things. Latterly with Edinburgh and Cocker, we had some huge wins away at Toulon, Montpellier, Newcastle away, Sale away, you know, proper wins. And we played some great rugby. Now, I know actually we, we struggled a bit in that last year, but there was we, we did some great stuff there as well. So, um, you, yeah, you just, you, you'd like to think you've played, you know, there's, there's, there's a bit of your stuff in there. Ultimately, you don't really know. It could, you know, you probably have to ask other people that that sort of question. But look, there must be, you know, you'd hope there's a bit in there. Yeah, I'm 100% confident there is. I'm going to pick out one name, and you can just tell me a little bit about him. Darcy Graham has no right to do what he does. Um, yeah. I saw somebody's tweeted over the weekend that um, weight to strength ratio. He must be in the top five players in the world. Yes. I mean, what what is it that makes Darcy Graham an international winger who can score tries in big games? So, athletically, clearly, he has got a gift. Um, however, I'd probably go back even a step further. I mean, you chuck Darcy on a pitch. What you see is what you get. Now, not everyone is like him. But what I mean is, you throw him in a training pitch, you get exactly the same. You have a you have a half-hour session, back session with Darcy Graham involved. You get that same level of commitment and energy and wholeheartedness. You know, he's he's just on it. You stick him on a pitch. If he's on it, he crosses that white line in training on a pitch, and that is he is full on. Um, and I think that's probably his, he, he just has no fear. He has just got this mindset of I'm going to beat someone and we're going to do it 100 miles an hour. There is no off switch. And that is just, it's a remarkable thing with him, you know, and everyone says, well, he shouldn't be able to do what he can do. But I, th I think part of that is just down to his attitude. So you merge his outlook and his attitude and you merge that with clearly he is athletically very gifted in terms of his footwork and being able to change direction quickly. Um, so you merge those two together and that's, that's probably why he never quite gets fully hit and he's doing things that he should be able to do. Uh, he's he's unreal. Right, here's some quick fire ones. Who was your hero when you were a kid? Oh, um, some probably a bit random ones, actually. I'm going to go Serge Blanco, Michael Lina, David Gower, Ian Botham. Daley okay. Thompson as well. Boris Becker Daily as well. Thompson. Boris Daily Becker. Thompson. Playing Daley Thompson on your computer. <laughs> right, who did? who is the toughest player you ever played against? Oh, as in direct, as in a standoff or another player? Yeah, go for it. Di direct. Oh, um, probably go Johnny Wilkinson. 
But if it wasn't, if you if you'd asked about another player, and I tell my kids this story, is would would have been John Alamu. I knew um, you were going to say that. <laughs> you know, you just used to look up and think, oh no, he's coming down my channel, isn't he? And there was this. This is genuine story. I hit him in Carisbrook. I saw him coming. Hit him with all my might in Carisbrook, and um, whacked him. I got this sort of starry eyes. Thought, oh, perfect. He'll just be lying right next to me here. I've absolutely whacked him there. And I cut, kind of got up, looked around my shoulder, and he's chanking through another three, four players, fifty meters away. Like I could have sworn for all the tea in China, he was going to be lying next to me, whacked him. But you know, he was one of these guys. You looked up and thought, "Oh no, he's coming straight at me, isn't he?" And he was just impossible. He just couldn't tackle. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I, I love that. Who, who's the, who's the best player you've coached? Best player I've coached. Uh, I was probably, I reckon Finn's up there, Finn Russell. Um, as an outside back, guys like Darcy, Blair Kinghorn are exceptional, Hoggy exceptional, Joshua Tuasova and Fiji there are exceptional. Um, and then you've got guys like Greg who are just on a different sort of planet mentally. Um, so there's that sort of side to it as well so those are probably and admittedly they're most of them are backs aren't they because i get them yeah more than of course they're because they're, <laughs> they're the best players who is your favorite person to play with so it doesn't have to be the best player oh, who did you love playing now, with i'm going to give you two but they're for the same reason and well i'll give you three actually gregor was very good to play with but the two that immediately sprang to mind were both kiwis and that was john leslie and brendan laney and the reason being that they were just in my ear talking the whole time. Just Kiwis, just tell me what to do. So when I know what to do, I'm now decisive. And I just give it early or I give it late or I run at that hole. It's just like a running comment in my ear all day long, the two of them. Great. Ah, uh, interesting. I would never have picked that. I like that. I like that. So Rush, you've, you've coached... Brian Redpath, oh, service, very good as well. Yeah, Brush is class. We're another small man, but what a rugby player. Right, so you've coached Edinburgh, you've coached Scotland, uh, you coached Watsonians, you've coached Fiji. If you got another coaching gig, who would it be for? Oh, crikey. Um, club, club or country? Club or country? I, I honestly have no idea. I don't know. There's a... Um, I don't know. Part of me says you would like to see the things that would excite you would be coaching or assisting in a in a in another culture, and the two that spring to mind are probably sort of Ireland and France, and for very different reasons. Like Ireland, you just I just see these players come and feel like, what's going on in that country? How are they doing that? So that's the attraction there, and France just because. I just find it an intriguing place. Um, like culturally, the players, the talent they have, uh, the, the interest in the game, the sort of challenge of coaching a different country potentially. Um, so those are the, the two. Um, and also, the yeah, that's probably the two. I thought you were going to tout yourself for America there. <laughs> 
the, the streets are paved with gold in New York, my friend. I could see you could yeah, be big well. in America, I reckon. <laughs> Hodge, I've absolutely loved speaking to you. You're a gentleman, and you've been very good to me with your with your knowledge and your time. And uh, any kid that comes under your nose and gets the chance to be coached by, you'll be very, very lucky. Thank you very much, my man, and hopefully I'll see you very, very soon. Not a problem. Absolute pleasure. Uh, just like we got through a lot there, but uh, that was all good. Perfect. Thank yeah. you. Maybe a therapy session for you. <laughs> or, or maybe for me. <laughs> Thank you, my man. Love you a bit. See you soon. No worries. Cheers, Bruce. Gotta love him. Uh, I can vouch for him being a very good guy. I get to see him in action. He helps me, he points me in the right direction. He's a great sounding board, one of life's good guys, and the opportunities he's had, he's absolutely deserved. He was lucky because he put himself in that position, and then when the chance came, he grabbed it. And uh, I've got no doubt that his new venture in Accelerate Rugby is going to be a huge success. If you've enjoyed it, you can catch us on Apple, Acast and Spotify. You can watch on Facebook and YouTube. Check out Hodgie on social media, Accelerate Rugby and his website that you've seen on the screen. Go back, listen to our back catalogue. Hopefully there's something there for you to enjoy. We've got lots more guests coming up very, very soon. But in the meantime, my name is Bruce Aitchison. My happiness is egg-shaped and I hope you stay safe. Bye-bye. Hello, I'm Mayhem. Hello, I'm Chaos. And our happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped and love's a circle with no end. Oh, what's going on? It's not about happiness, let's say, and he said happiness is egg-shaped. Wait, um, happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped and love's a circle with no end. 